good to see everybody tonight. I know we do have our number is down due to our young people being at Helping Edify Youth at Arlington. We're glad you're here tonight and hope that our study together will be uh, encouraging and uplifting. And since this is the first Sunday night in the month that I've gotten to preach, I'm going to deal with our questions and answers. And I do know that some of the questions are difficult, sometimes they're tough, because the answer is not immediately obvious. But if it was so easy that you knew the answer, nobody would answer the questions. And so uh, we're going to try to deal with those. But I did think about uh, the song that we just sang, and uh, Do You Know My Jesus? And uh, the idea of their burdens that you have, that you need difficulty with. Those are the questions I wish we were somehow asking in our minds. Is there something I need to know, something that will make me a better child of God, or something that will give me directions that I need to go toward heaven. I have three questions tonight, and two of them were together, but uh, let me begin with the first question. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, where did Cain's wife come from? Where did all the other mentioned people come from? We only have record that initially Adam and Eve's children were Cain and Abel. Could they have had more children? We don't know about. And uh, then going back to the passage that was just read for us, if you will notice it says, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived, and bore Enoch. Now that question is not new. In fact, if you go back almost 100 years to the Scopes Monkey Trial in Dayton, Tennessee, there was on one side Clarence Darrow who represented the ACLU and the teaching of evolution. And on the other side, you had William Jennings Bryant, the uh, Brian, excuse me, a man who was very noted for his oratory skills. And Mr. Darrow asked the question of Mr. Bryan, where did Cain's wife come from? And Mr. Bryan said, I don't know. And uh, he said, well, have you ever tried to speculate? I don't know where they came from. I know the Bible said he got a wife. And the question was pressed over and over again. And he said, well, where would you find out? He says, I guess the agnostic is going to have to try to figure that out. Coming to a more modern time, Carl Sagan, the noted atheist agnostic, wrote a book by the name of Contact. And in that book, he has a conversation of a preacher's wife. And with her, the question arises, where did Cain get his wife? And she came to the conclusion that Genesis 1 produced one view and Genesis 2 produced another view. And she was a woman who evidently became skeptical. You see, the question of where did Cain's wife come from has been one that has challenged people as to whether or not the Bible is true and the Bible is right. And the skeptic wants to think, aha, I found the passage that you can't answer. Well, let's look and see. If you will, I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bible to chapter 5 of Genesis. And let's look at verses 4 and 5. 
Genesis chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. And it says, After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years. Now listen very carefully. You may want to underline this. And he had sons and daughters. Hmm. The question is, did were the only children that Adam and Eve had was Cain and Abel and Seth? And the answer is no. And more children than that. Because to say they had sons, the three sons could qualify, but here the text says they had daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. I don't know if the tradition of the Jews is correct or not, but they said that Adam had 50 children. If he lived that long, it's very possible he could have had 50 children. I know one thing, the Bible is quite plain here that there were other people that were conceived by Adam and Eve. Some people say, but that really doesn't address the question because would Cain have married his close blood relative, his sister? And in fact, that question is one which has puzzled people, but again, I don't think that's necessary to be puzzled because we're taking our 21st century uh, level of understanding and it's taboo today. You shouldn't marry one who's a close blood relative. But the truth is we are all related. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 17 and let's look at verse 26. I think you can find something there that is rather enlightening. Because Paul, as he is describing to the Athenians the way God created this world and all the things that are part of it said, and he has made from one blood every nation to dwell upon the face of the earth. From one blood. And someone says, which race do you favor? The human race. And in reality, we are just one race of people. Because every one of us who are in this room are related to one another. Because if you go all the way back to Noah and Shem, Ham, and Japheth, we all are going to have our lineage to them. But if you don't catch them in Noah, you can always go back to Adam and Eve, and that's where it is all from. Someone says, but there's a problem of marrying your sister. But do you remember Abraham and marrying Sarah? And she was his sister. And if you will notice, there is no prohibition against marrying a close relative until you come to Leviticus chapter 18. And so when you start looking at that, most likely Cain married his sister, though it's possible he could have married a niece or someone perhaps... But it's, it's got to be a close relative. And God intended that the original pair be as he told them, to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. Now, there's a second question that was asked, and it does have some similar relating to this. The question says, the book of Enoch supposedly says Adam had a wife other than Eve. 
although no, not a part of the Bible, is this credible? Now, there's two issues within this question I think that you have to answer. Number one is, what about the other books that are not found in the Bible? And then what about the specific claim of Adam having another wife? Let's answer them one by one. First of all, what about the other books? When the Da Vinci Code came out a few years ago, written by Dan Brown, both the book and then later the movie, left the impression that the Catholic Church, sometime in the first or second or third century, decided, okay, we want to keep these four books that are the counts of the gospel, but we're not going to take all these others. And we're somehow going to accept these books and we're going to reject these because we don't like what these books say. That is an incorrect perception. It's not as if they said we like these books, we don't like these books, and we have all these to choose from. There's some terminology here that I think might be helpful. There are a group of books known as the Apocrypha. And the Apocrypha means hidden. And if you look in a Bible that is published by the Roman Catholic Church, you will notice some books in the Old Testament that are not in your Bible. You'll notice books like Estros and Tobit and Judith. And you'll notice others like First and Second Maccabees. And you're saying, why don't we have these in our Bibles? There's another group of writings known as the pseudepigrapha. And you might can be able to figure out the word pseuda from the word pseudo meaning false, graphe meaning writings, false writings. And whether it's the apocrypha or even more the pseudepigrapha, these books were never accepted by the church. These books were not written by inspired men. And these books do not reflect the same level that we have in the Bible. And I, I want to emphasize that because, for instance, when Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and sent them to Corinth, they kept those letters and they said, these are letters from Paul. When the church at Ephesus got the book of Ephesians, this is a letter from Paul to us at Ephesus. The early church accepted those and as other congregations began to say, well, did you get a letter from Paul? We got one. You can study the book of Colossians where he says to take and read also the letter to the Laodiceans. And you cause this letter to be read in Laodicea as well. So you have the church accepting these books. But there are other books that were written that are not even in the same category of these Many of them are written way too late, written very poorly, and not written by people who were of inspired of God. Now, what about the so-called Book of Enoch? It is in that group of writings known as the false writings. And I will tell you that those writings do not include Adam's, quote, other wife. It actually comes from a book called the Alphabet of Ben-Sirah, or the Alphabet of Sirach. That book was written between 700 and 1000 A.D. 
700 years after the first century. It also includes what is known as the legend of Lilith. And I even hesitate to mention all that, but this is the question was asked, so I'm going to answer the question. But this legend of Lilith says that she was made from the dust of the earth just like Adam and that she didn't like Adam ruling over her and there's some sexual overtones in this book. And what ends up happening, she leaves Adam and uh, God sends three angels after her to bring her back. She says, I'm not coming back. She ends up becoming demonic and she kills a thousand, or not a thousand, a hundred infants a day. Now that's the, the legend of Lilith. But it is said that Genesis 1 where it says, and God made man in his own image from the dust of the earth, that was Lilith and Adam. And that after that, when she left and wouldn't come back, then God in Genesis 2 made Eve. Now the question is, is there any credibility to this? Well, the short answer is absolutely not. Just absolutely plain old no, there's no credibility to it. First of all, this book is written way too late. But someone would say, but there's, there's little parts of that that can be found all the way back to the Babylonian period. Well, let's go to the Bible for just a minute. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3 and let's go to verse 20. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20. And when you get to that passage, there's a very simple statement that I think can be helpful. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. She was the mother of all living. And you see, someone says, well, I don't see how the first and second questions tie together. I can tell you how some people think that Lilith had children and that Eve had children and that's where Cain's wife came from was from Lilith's descendancy. And that's not the case. Because Eve was the mother of all living. Every human being that has lived since the beginning of time is a descendant of Eve and of Adam. Now, if that's not enough, you go to Matthew chapter 19 and verses 4 through 6. And you listen to what Jesus is talking about. The question has been raised, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for just any reason, any cause? And here's the way the Lord answers. He answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? That's a reference to Genesis 1, 26 and following. And for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then there are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let not man separate. Two, Adam and Eve. And then if you look at the latter part of verse 8, from the beginning it was not so. God had a plan from the beginning. And to suggest that God created Lilith and Lilith just somehow didn't work out flies in the face of God's divine eternal plan 
Because in the beginning, when you have Adam and Eve together, they're both pure, they're innocent, and they're in the Garden of Eden together. So any indication that Adam had a wife prior to Eve is just pure fabrication and has no basis in Scripture whatsoever. Now the third question. Recently I heard that Sodom and Gomorrah were not destroyed because they were homosexuals, but because they were arrogant and would not help people. Where did they get this idea? Hey, folks, I don't know where the questions come from. I just um, deal with them as they're raised. If you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, to chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16, and you'll go down to verse 49. Ezekiel 16, verse 49. This is a very common ploy by those who are pro-homosexual. What they want to tell you is, is that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. It only condemns the things that some homosexuals have practiced. And let's look at verses 49 and 50. Look, this is the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. No mention of the homosexuality here. And they would say, you see, what people have concentrated on is the fact that they don't like the homosexual. And because of that, they have misunderstood the reason why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And they would say, you see here, they had pride, they had fullness of food, they had idleness, they didn't help the needy, they didn't help the poor. And so that's the reason why God took them away, not because they were homosexual. Let me make this point. The city of Sodom was noted to be wicked before God destroyed them. You go back to Genesis chapter 13, verse 13. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Chapter 18, verse 20. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grave. Even before they were destroyed, they were noted for being a wicked city. And here's an instance where it is not either they were destroyed because of pride and the way they treated the poor, or they were destroyed because they were homosexual, but it's a both and. You see, what they want you to do is think, this is the only reason why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And if we're not careful, we will leave the impression that the only reason why God destroyed them was because of the homosexuality. It's both and. And let me illustrate that to you, if you will. Notice Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 50 again. He said there that they disrespected God's uh, standard of morality. He said, and they were haughty and committed abomination. And committed abomination. They were haughty, proud, arrogant, and they committed abomination. What do you mean by abomination? Leviticus chapter 20 verse 13. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. 
They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. I don't think you have to stretch the idea very far to understand. There's two ideas. And the scriptures agree with this as well. When I go to the book of Jude, in Jude verse 7, he said, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these have given themselves over to fornication and gone after strange flesh. He said, they're set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. They are, have committed fornication. They've gone after strange flesh. What do I know about Sodom and Gomorrah? I know they were homosexuals and they did go after strange flesh. But I also know that they were people who did not respect God. In Jeremiah 23, verse 14. Also, I've seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and they walk in lies. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers. So that no one turns back from his wickedness. All of them are like Sodom to me and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. He said, I want you to understand there's a, a resemblance here. And what is the resemblance? These people do not respect God. They don't respect their fellow man. And then I start looking and seeing what is said in Ezekiel 16. And he talks about there the arrogance which they had and the fact that their lack of concern for their fellow man. And then I read Genesis 18 and 19 and I read that when the angels of the Lord come to Sodom and Gomorrah and they camp around the house and they're wanting to commit homosexual acts with those men, that these people do not respect God nor do they respect their fellow man as well. And so you have both and in this case. Now those are the three questions. And sometimes it's good to ask hard questions because it makes us dig. It makes us search. It makes us look for the answer. But you, we always need to be ready to study to give a right answer. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 we read, But sanctifying your hearts, Christ Jesus is Lord being ready always to give an answer to every man that asks the reason of hope that is within you, yet with meekness and fear. We ought to be the kind of people who are searching and looking to try to find the answer for those who are around about us are asking. Sometimes they may ask the question, as was asked of Paul and Silas in Acts 16, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved in your household. And you know what happened? They had took them that very hour and baptized him. When a person wants to be saved, you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You have to repent of your sins, confess that faith, and be baptized. If you're a child of God and you're sinning and there's struggles in your life that you need to take care of, there's an offer of forgiveness if we will come back and the Bible tells us very plainly if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Tonight we're going to sing the song What Will Your Answer Be? And if you need to respond would you come as together we stand and sing.